Welcome on in, everybody. Claret and Cobalt, bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Here we are, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale, another week. Excited to talk RSL with everybody. We've got a great episode coming up with the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Dunseth, I think. One of the foremost, if not the foremost, ambassador for Real Salt Lake over the last 15, 16, 17, going on 17 years from his return from Sweden to play for his youth national team coach, John Ellinger, scoring that fateful goal at Rice-Eccles Stadium, brilliant header late on the turf at Rice-Eccles Stadium against the Colorado Rapids in the first ever home game, to his almost daily and weekly presence calling RSL games, tweeting about RSL. Um, we get into a lot of great kind of philosophical stuff with him as he's maintained his presence on Sirius XM nationally. He is generally the foremost fill-in for Taylor Twelman and Alexi Lawless on ESPN and Fox broadcasts. And just a fantastic perspective from from Brian who – has made Salt Lake City his home, married a Salt Lake native, has three beautiful boys. And um, Ryan, I think Dunny just uh, – he's hes the guy everybody goes to for for feedback, for therapy. And, um, you know, he's really got his fingers on the pulse of of the RSL history, the RSL fan base. And, and I think he's – it's good to hear that he's very optimistic for this club's future. Yeah, he's always been someone that I think the fan base looks to for like – you know, maybe that. How should I feel about this situation? I mean, I know he gets a lot of gets a lot of crap sometimes for being. Yeah, he'll bring this up in the interview, um, but about you know leaning one way or the other. Yeah. But I do think that we maybe in Salt Lake sometimes it's hard to really realize how lucky we are to have somebody who is that keyed into the whole you know the U.S. soccer world, the mm-hmm. you know the world of soccer, um, and to be able to give us you know that information like right here we don't have to tune into some la broadcast or new york right broadcast. yeah no he's he's someone i you know i'll be honest i never i don't always agree with dunny's takes sure but i think that's part of the thing is like i know that he's he's always going to give it to us no yeah. matter what and uh and uh, from you know as far as i i'm concerned he's always been so helpful to the things i've been doing yeah know? i mean you maybe i don't know how many listeners know about like the our post game show we were doing for years and years and yeah, the nightcap. Yeah. I mean, that was something I'd ask him to do after a full day of, uh, <laughs> you know, rec- I mean, we do that before sure. he goes home after those yeah. games and like, it's late, you know, people are leaving and he's still come and find me and we'd, you know, sit in an empty room and yep. record for five minutes. It's yeah. just, you know, that's something that like when you're, you're looking for someone to help you make content you know, that kind of thing is just un- incredible. So. Yeah. He's a content machine and you know, his credibility I think is, is outstanding. His perspective from his time as a player, um, you know, he talks a little bit about coming out of a a, a very small college program at Fullerton. Um, really, a guy who found his way uh, as the league was growing feels probably a little hard done looking back at at some of his history in Dallas and and with RSL as a player, uh, Chivas, LA. But you know, he's a guy that I just. I love the way he communicates his perspective. Again, we don't always have to agree on everything, but he brings a conviction to his perspective. And, you know, he's a guy that chose Salt Lake. 
He chose to live here. He had opportunities to maybe get his broadcasting career um, on a more widely spread platform with, you know, the national networks or the L.A.-based networks, and he talks a little bit about that. But um, thank God for us, he fell in love with a solid girl, and um, and we're lucky to have him. I just think he's uh, he's so tied in. And he's got such great relationships, and and you know I've spent a lot of time with him over the years, uh, doing media training either for our team or for the league, and 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 hopefully he's going to get the opportunity to do some of that with the academy, and just you know as media has changed, he's evolved along with it. So excited to hear his perspective on on a, on a lot of things. About a 55, 56 minute interview coming up with Brian Dunseth. Before we get to him, one of the things that that Ryan and I really want to want to hear from the listeners in terms of the Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast are are your favorite memories of this club, and there's a couple ways you can share those with us. You can go to Anchor.fm/slash Claret and Cobalt. There's a message button, and we'll get your voice memo that way, or you can record a voice memo on your phone or however you record it and email that to. RSL Trey, T R E Y, at gmail.com. And that will be a, a segment that we'll feature in, in future podcasts as we kind of celebrate the past, present, and future of Real Salt Lake. So, Ryan, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What is your preeminent memory when you, when you are asked? about Real Salt Lake. Yeah, that's one of those things that the reason why we're interested in this is just because <laughs> I think anybody who is a fan of this club, I mean, um, has some, you know, unique personal experience mm-hmm. with, you know, something involving the club. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that won me over as, you know, like a little bit of a soccer snob back in those days, you know, like, oh, MLS. And so, right. Um, the idea that I could drive down and see pro soccer in Salt Lake you know, it won me over. It literally won me over. Like I, uh, I had a friend who, um, from England who brought me to a game because Everton was playing, you know, mm. back in the, and, uh, I'd already been kind of involved, you know, trying to go to see those games and stuff like, but he came in and he seen in his eyes how excited he was that he was seeing a team play in front of him. Yeah. It like kind of opened my eyes like, wow, this is happening every week. I mean, maybe not Everton, yeah. but like you get to know guys like, well, specifically like, you know, back then it was like Kyle and Nick and Javi and all those people that were around here that were just like, these are not only great players, but they're great people. And this is my, so my memory, so the thing that, that, that brings up, I think a lot of people have these kind of um, experiences, but um, I had an opportunity kind of early on, maybe this is 2013-ish, 2014. Um, as a fan, I went to a autograph signing, okay. Kyle Beckerman autograph signing. And uh, it was after a game, whatever, there's, you know, the room was full, the, the line was out the door to get an autograph from Kyle and just have, you know, have a second to like, you know, say hi to him and say, you know, whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a frustratingly slow line. And when you kind of get around the bend and you see Kyle, you're like, Oh, he's talking to everybody. That's why this is taking forever. <laughs> and as I get about like maybe three or four back, um, you know, I don't know, what am I going to say to Kyle? I don't know. What I, like, I'm just thinking about like, you know, why am I so excited to talk to the Kyle Beckerman? Something about that. But there was a family ahead of us and, uh, um, they had a daughter who must have been 10, 11, pretty young. Okay. And I was close enough that I could hear her say, um, Kyle, how did you get so good at soccer? Something <laughs> along those lines. You know, it's like, how did you get so good? And Kyle was like, like, he stops what he's doing. He comes out from behind the table. He's like, he's like, do you know how to juggle? 
And so he says to this, this girl, he's like, do you know how to juggle? And she's like, yeah. She's like, yeah. And he's like, hey, give me a ball. And I don't know. It actually might have been you <laughs> that were standing around. Some, some staff was in oh, there yeah. found him a ball, probably one of the display balls right. in, the, in the Interform Club or whatever. And he's like, so you just do this. You just like, he's like, just drop it on your foot and just kick it. And like, I was watching him do this. And like, there's a line of people out the door. <laughs> and Kyle Beckerman is taking time to like talk to this one girl who asked him a question. Like, how did you get good at, you know? And then that, that moment, like, I saw him as like not only a human, but as someone who cared about people sure. other than himself, which is not a thing that you think about when you think about like pro, pro athletes, athletes, right? Yeah. And so, but this guy was there. I mean, he's here, he's he's accessible. I get to see him on the field. I get to see him get red cards and yell, you know, I get to see him be a just a monster on the field. But then I see him be just, you know, just so warm and, you know, wholesome and, you know, like just, it was just a great experience. And like kind of that, that among a few other situations, like, that was seriously like what attached me to being like, you know, a fan of, of ourselves. Like I, I want to know these people. I want to see them be, you know, I want to see them succeed. I want to yeah. be there when they do succeed, you know? So anyway, I got season tickets next year because of that. That's awesome. Um, for me, and I thought about this a lot when we were talking, talking to Tony Beltran and I had a lot of kind of random memories trying to figure out when did it like really kind of crystallize? When did it, when, it, you know, what was one of those, what were those moments that kind of choked me up about what we were building here? And I think the one that stands out the most, and there's a lot of them, um, certainly the Real Madrid game, which we'll get into in, in future episodes from a bunch of different angles. Um, but for me, I think, when we got off the plane, not after MLS Cup, but the the game before that, when after we won the shootout in Chicago, when Real Salt Lake become became the 2009 Eastern Conference champions, we got off the plane at Salt Lake City Airport, and there were probably four or five hundred people waiting for us, and that was when it just and I'm going to get choked up even thinking about it because it's that same feeling where you just feel like kind of a lightning bolt hits your heart and punches you in the stomach a little bit. And it's just like, we matter and we matter to this, to these people and to this community. And then, you know, a week plus later coming back from winning the cup over the galaxy again in a shootout in Seattle um, it wasn't quite the same. There probably, I think there was more, there were more people that time, but it was just coming back from Chicago. That was the first time it was just like, bam, it smacks you in the face. And it's like, wow, people really care. And, um, and you, you know, it, I think I, I felt like I knew it intellectually, you know, obviously a lot had gone into the club before that with, the days at Rice Eccles, building Rio Tinto Stadium, opening Rio Tinto Stadium, having, you know, doing everything we did. Because obviously, um, you know, throughout 2008, 2009, we had so many great things to celebrate. But there was just something about coming down that escalator at, at Salt Lake Airport to the to the baggage claim area and seeing it just overflowing with people in our jerseys and hats and scarves and uh, the singing, the just the happiness, and it was, it blew me away. I think it blew everybody that got off that plane, every player, every coach, every staffer. So 
that's that's one of my many memories. And obviously, as as we go through and talk to different people, there'll be a lot of that that comes flooding back. It's kind of amazing how many things are are tucked away that you don't even know are in there, and then you and then they get triggered by uh, yeah. by a certain sentiment. And uh, that that was the best part about talking with with Tony uh, in episode three was just those memories come coming and flooding back. And certainly, I hope everybody that listens to Brian Dunseth today um, and hearing his perspective on on the trials, tribulations, growth, and success of of Rail Salt Lake and his hopes for the future. Um, hope that inspires some some memories that. The listeners are willing to share with us here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Real quick, before we get to Dunning, we've got uh, a few news and notes. I, I think, um, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit uh, previously about the signing of uh, homegrown goalkeeper Jeff Dusnip. We've talked about uh, Rubio Rubin being added. Um, as we mentioned last week, or last episode, I should say, Elliot's got some other uh, pending moves that we're waiting to hear more about. But if you haven't gone to rsl.com and checked out all the fine work from Matt Gash, Taryn Meyer, and the PR crew over there, uh, there's some great academy-related information, storylines. There's a Q&A with Aaron Herrera right before he went to U.S. camp um, that I think everybody should check out. And, and we're going to have Arnold Reisenberg, Tom Spall, um, some of the other academy personalities here on the pod uh, coming up over the course of the next month or so. But uh, a really, really fantastic uh, set of articles that I think should remind folks, and certainly I learned a lot reading all this great stuff about the infrastructure that does exist. And in, in, in so many ways, it's it's the foundation of the future. And, um, you know, obviously... The first team gets gets all the headlines, but a lot of those uh, first team players came from somewhere, and uh, it's great to celebrate the infrastructure that this club has. As we've talked about with with Zarcos and and Jake and Tony, and we get into it a little bit here with Dunny, but uh, so many great things happening out in Harriman that I think should inspire a little bit of confidence in in these times of CBA and COVID and ownership uncertainty. Yeah. All right, without any further ado, let's get to it. Great uh, great interview slash conversation, I should say, coming up with the one, the only, Brian Dunson. All right, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Very, very ecstatic to welcome the one, the only, the... Face, voice, and community ambassador of Real Salt Lake, Brian Dunseth. What's up, buddy? How are you? Man of the people. Oh, well, I'm doing great, man. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats on this. This is awesome. You and Ryan are doing a great job. I've listened to the first couple episodes. Really impressed. Thank you. Ryan's the best. He's really, really good. And I'm just happy to be back in Utah. Venmo, $20. <laughs> Brian Dunseth. Um, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm holding up like everybody else. I the think. hardest working no, no, soccer that, man gone. in Salt Lake City. <laughs> that, that, that's Salt Lake, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no life. Life is life has changed a little bit. Um, and it's not just because of 2020. I think you know you and I have a lot of these conversations, but you know the general public doesn't re- recognize at at times. 
that there's a a serious kind of evolution of the way that broadcast media mm -hmm. is handling sports and sure. specifically with soccer. And from having had the opportunity to start in radio, uh, then move on to the television side when Robin Frazier took over as assistant coach for Jason Christ, and then kind of to be able to build into a national platform and to be able to have the opportunity to work with, at the time, Fox Soccer, uh, Fox Sports 1, um, covering virtually every every one of the big leagues from you know, Premier League to Serie A to CONCACAF Champions League to Europa League to uh, La Liga to all of the different tournaments that are the evolution to Gold Cup to all these different things. Um, times are changing. Like, yeah. If you're not based in, in Los Angeles, outside of John Strong or maybe JP Della Camera, you're not really doing stuff with Fox anymore. Uh, because they're really just focused on World Cup. And then with the ESPN stuff, having the opportunity, I was supposed to this summer kind of jump on to the MLS coverage during the Euros. Mm. Um, and that looks like it's going to happen again this summer with the Euros being pushed back a year. But yeah, everything got wiped out. Uh, so yeah. being able to do SiriusXM, and there's been some, some, I guess it's called allocation resources being kind of adjusted and... Um, you know, with the the season being stop start, you start, yeah. you get the two games in, and then all of a sudden you don't really start until August, and then you're getting all these games in. It's been odd. I mean, I called the MLS Cup final for SiriusXM from my office yeah. in my house, and Tony Miola was in Florida, Joe Tolleson was in Connecticut, and we had some tech guys in New York and some other guys in Washington, and we were still able to call the game live. So. You and I had talked about the idea of like going on the road and calling games and, mm -hmm. and being inside the stadium. I, I think that unless it's a national broadcast or you have owners that are completely invested in yeah. losing money to make sure that their announcers are on site, um, you know, it's it's an evolution right now behind the scenes. Well, and you and I have talked about this a lot over the years, and, and we fought hard to always make sure that you and your partner were in the stadium. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're a guy that's always been so well connected. You've had friends, contacts, whatever, inside every club in the league, every every locker room. And that's just one of many things that I think makes you the best at, at what you do. How hard is it now? Because like, I'm watching a lot of NBA games yeah. suddenly again, and you can really tell those guys are not in the arena. And it's... It's different. I mean, it's even... And I don't know if it's like a sync issue sometimes on the audio, um, where you kind of feel like... You know, if there's a big three or a big dunk, like yeah. I, I, I'm noticing either the play-by-play -play or the or the analyst, it's just a Slight little delay. off. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's, it's disconcerting. And maybe I'm I, I don't know. I'm sure other people notice it too. But uh, how hard is it? Well, maybe not for you because I, I feel like you've got such a or, organic. A yeah, you've got a lot of reps, yeah. and and you know we'll get into all those reps you got calling games out of a little closet in, in LA <laughs> when you were kind of getting your career started. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I say this to David James all the time, like for a guy that's been learning the game over the last five, six years, like he has, it's, it does him a disservice. And it does a lot of these MLS broadcast crews, I think a disservice that they're having to call games off a monitor. It's, it's not ideal. And now, and now like, I know he's specifically, complains about obviously in COVID times that he can't get out and see practice very often mm -hmm. in Harriman where, you know, for a guy like him, it's so important to see how guys run and how the team kind of yeah, interacts yeah. in order to be able to identify and, yep. and, you know, we'll get him to the eye doctor as well. So, 
Just kidding. So I, well, I'm sorry. I'm just it's no, no. a it's a long winded way of kind of getting your take on on the changing landscape. Yeah the 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 work that I do the pre match work that I do doesn't change at all in terms of of watching opponents and paying attention because of SiriusXM. I'm already watching all these games. I'm up at the mm-hmm. weekends at 5 a.m. watching Premier League that bleeds into me watching you know Bundesliga. Right keeping an eye on Serie A and La Liga, and then watching Liga Mekis and MLS at night. So it doesn't really change the way I approach it. Um, to your point, that little shoebox in L.A. for Fox Soccer, uh, we called a- every game off the right. monitor. So I was calling Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana mm-hmm. games off monitor, um, King's Cup between Real Madrid and Barcelona. Like, it, it doesn't really affect me mm-hmm. because I have those reps in my back pocket. Yeah. Now, for a play-by-play who's learning the game, and DJ's, no, I don't think DJ's no longer, uh, he's no longer learning the game. I think, my opinion, David James is one of the best non-national play-by-play guys in right. America. And I know he took a lot of stick in the beginning, um, but he's honed his craft. He's got great pipes, and I think he does a great job finding the rhythm mm-hmm. of a game. Um, so he's going to vend me $20 <laughs> after this. Uh the where where I lose the opportunity to just kind of tighten the screws a little bit, and and I know I get pushbacks sometimes from RSL fans because you I know, knew, I was getting that was my next question is why do you hate RSL? Yeah, well I'll get to that. I'll tell you why I hate <laughs> RSL. Um, what I try to do is one thing that annoys me when I'm watching kind of local broadcasts, besides the homerism that takes place in MLS broadcasts, is I don't. I'm watching the game for both teams. I want games called like a national broadcast. So when I'm watching a game, I want to know about the San Jose Earthquakes. But I also want to know about Minnesota United. And so those little things, like when, what what piques my imagination is, all right, well, I know the injury reports are BS in this league. Right. They, don't really, they don't really tell you what's happening. Where's Vegas when you need them? Yeah, yeah exactly. So then when I'm watching, if I don't see Ozzy Alonso, I want to know what happened to Ozzy Alonso. Hey, by the way, Minnesota United without Ozzy Alonso, Ike Opara, I, you know, Ozzy Alonso dealing with a hamstring injury, still on the road of recovering. Ike Opara still hasn't played since the second game of the season because of concussion protocol. So then there's an explanation of, oh, okay, so now I understand why these guys are missing. Or if I see a guy limping or a guy just returned from injury, I want to say Ozzy Alonso back in the starting 11 after recovering from that hamstring injury that kept him out the previous yeah. six games. So then there's... I, I can then think to myself, oh, Ozzy Alonso playing one of the most difficult positions in Major League Soccer as a central midfielder. I wonder what his fitness level looks like. So then I start thinking about substitution patterns, 60th mm-hmm. minute, what this all. So that's how my mind works. That's what you start to lose. Now, to your point, I've been super lucky. From 1997 with the New England Revolution to now. The amount of interns, the amount of co-workers on the field, the amount of guys behind the scenes, uh, marketing people, uh, general managers, what do we call them, sporting directors, yeah. owners, I've had the opportunity to get to know all of these guys. And a, a majority of the quote-unquote low-level first-job employees for these MLS clubs are now decision-makers. Yeah. They're running CBS Sports Champions League. They're 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 starting up Inter Miami sure. uh, CF. Um, you know, you and I, we go back to my time meeting you in the late '90s in 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 MLS. Right. So it's 
you miss the ability to walk into the stadium, say hello, see people. And DJ always jokes around like I'm the mayor of whatever club we go to because I just know people. And so I'm able to be like, hey, what about, you know, if we go to Philly? Hey, what, what's what's going on? Tell me about Brendan Aaron. Mm-hmm. Give me a little bit of background. And then I have something. I have a nugget that I can bring to the broadcast to teach RSL viewers. Okay, who is this kid, Brendan Aronson? Like, he's an academy product, but he's a number 10. He's with the national team. There's interest from Red Bull Salzburg in Germany where Jesse Marsh is. There's an opportunity for him to be sold in the January transfer window. Like, what is this? So I want to I want to, I want to paint the picture. So the RSL fans, you're going to get RSL no matter what. But then you're also going to have an idea of what Philadelphia is, what right. they're doing, what they're about, what the philosophy is, and who do you need to pay attention to. And I just think that's that's something that you get in a national broadcast if I work for Fox or ESPN. Sure. So why wouldn't I do it for an RSL yeah. broadcast? Yeah, and it's funny because I've always, I mean, when I was here in 2005 helping start the club, that's what we wanted for the broadcast is we wanted access and education. Mm-hmm. We did not want Homer broadcast and at the time i remember you know that was the big criticism of baseball um it was that every team's broadcast was just so skewed one side right and i think the biggest compliment that you and dj get when when the kmyu broadcast is on espn plus is when the other team's fans are tweeting about oh these guys aren't homers like yeah. San Jose, Dallas, Colorado, That's not whatever. Name <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Steve Davis. I just name checked you. Just kidding. Um, I love Steve. Uh, but I mean, there are a lot of clubs and, and look, I get it. I mean, I always had the pressure that you guys weren't promoting whatever our hmm? club agenda wasn't, but my pushback and luckily there wasn't that much pushback from either Dave or Deloitte at any point was it's only through authenticity and an organic approach that fans are really going to have the emotional connection that we mm-hmm. want to have yeah. with the club. And, and the TV and radio was such a big part of that. And I think a lot of the reason DJ got as much stick as he did is because Bill Riley was an excellent yeah. play-by-play. Bill calls a fantastic And game. you guys were great together. Yeah. And, you know, that's the where the business circumstances of these deals kind of come in that a lot of people don't understand. And, and that's something I think we'll hope to pull back the curtain on, on, on our podcast, uh, you know, over the course of the year and, and everything. But one of the things that I think everybody loves is obviously your, your Twitter game is hot fire when you're on the air and nobody understands it. Right. Um, how you, how you are able to, when people ask me about you as a broadcaster, I say two things. I said, what's great about Dunny is he doesn't say anything about a player, a coach, a GM, an owner that he wouldn't say if that person's mom wasn't sitting in the booth mm-hmm. with him. And two, I think what makes you unique, and I'm not going to name names as badly as I want to, not only do you identify a problem if a particular, I don't know, right back is struggling or a striker or center back, whatever, you you identify the solution that that needs to be implemented in order for that player, that team, or that tactical setup to have success. And and I think that's where some of the other high-profile analysts, they fall into a trap because it's easy to be critical. Mm. It's not easy to provide a solution. And I guess the last thing I will say while I'm um, 
trying to get a Venmo from you is <laughs> is we're almost even. <laughs> is you're able to um, you're able to speak to I think a wider range of of fans mm. and MLS is still only 25 years old so you've got you've got a lot of new fans to the game and to the sport and you've got a lot of people that think they know everything the soccer cognoscenti and and you've got the you know the euro snobs that think our league is trash and somehow you're able to kind of speak to all those groups and educate and inform I think and that's um that's rare well I appreciate that one of the things that so I let, let, let me go back and, and I'll kind of explain how I see the game. Um, it was 1997. We were with the under 20 U.S. men's national team. Jay Hoffman was the head coach. I had just got called in from Cal State Fullerton and the team had already qualified. They had already gone through CONCACAF qualifying. So I was essentially coming in, competing for a spot and taking someone's place that had already qualified for the World Cup in Malaysia. Um, and that was, that was hard. It was, it was hard to walk in that door and be one of the kids from Southern California without any big name mm. being at Cal State, you know, not at UCLA, yeah. um, and kind of work my way in there. One of the things throughout the course of that experience and making that roster and going to Malaysia was Red Star Belgrade was out at the Olympic Training Center, Arco in, uh, in San Diego, just outside San Diego. And they were scrimmaging the U.S. men's national team. The U.S. team was there. And Jay Hoffman gave us all a little five by seven card, gave us a pen and said, okay, we're going to go out. We're going to watch the game. I want you on one side to set up the formation of what you're seeing from the U.S. men's national team for Steve Sampson. I want you to then do Red Star Belgrade. Then I want you to dial in on left foot, right foot, both feet, who's proficient, who's not, um, the tactical understanding of the game, who you give high marks to, who you give low marks to. Um, the adjustments you would make at halftime to for either team take advantage of what you're seeing, and then uh, just kind of write a report, and then we had to present it. Wow! And in that moment, I'd never like I'd always watched the game, but it was the first time I was actually prompted to like report on a game, and I loved it. And had you ever? It, my impression is that that even surface level tactical observation had probably never really been never discussed never not never i mean we had always talked about like our own on yeah, the field how yeah. we were going to play right and what we would do against specific formations but this was like the first time yeah. it had like opened up a brand new realm for me so fast forward to after i was traded from real salt lake in uh the what is it december no november of 2005 Went down to Chivas. I heard got, about it at a Halloween then, party. Then got, yeah, <laughs> then got pushed over to uh, to the Galaxy. Um, we were about to play Real Salt Lake at Home Depot Center at the time. And Steve Sampson's doing his whole thing. And his whole preview of RSL was wrong. It was just bad. It wasn't, it wasn't good. And so he looked at me and he's like, well, Dunny, do you have anything to add? You were with this group last year. And I was like, yeah, do you mind if I jump up? And he's like, well, yeah, okay. And I was, Can I see that pen? I was like, is it okay if I touch this? And he's like, uh, I guess. And I just showed, all right, here's the outside back he's going to want to get forward. This right back's going to be more at stay at home. He's going to pinch in a little bit more centrally. This is going to allow both flank players to mm -hmm. get higher up on the field. And this was when John Ellinger was the coach. 
And I was like, well, if you can neutralize this player, then if you can just force him back, just force him back to where he came from, don't allow him to turn and face, then you're going to cut out this passing lane, this passing lane, this passing lane. On set pieces, this is what they're going to try to do. They've got one finger up is going to be the short corner, two is going to be the back post, three, they're going to look to just dink one to the top of the 18 for a first time ball. And like when he got done, or when I got done, he just kind of looked at it, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much, I was like, here's the strengths on the free kicks. Here's right foot, left foot. From this distance, it's going to be this player. From this distance, it's going to be this player. Um, from this distance, they're just going to look to clip a ball in to knock down back across the face of goal. And Samson was like, well, Mr. Dunseth, <laughs> you're much better at this than you are as a soccer player. And I was like, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. But it, like... At that time, I had become friends with Christian Miles, with right. Max Bredos, with Mark Rogandino, with Alan Hopkins, for with doing all the Fox Soccer stuff. Sure. And because I was in LA, they were like, "Dunny, let's go get a let's go get lunch." So I went to go get lunch with them, and they were like, "Every time we interview you, like we have a like your personality comes through. Like, would you you should really think about doing this?" And I was like, "Huh, okay." And then that transpired into you know, the end of my career and then coming back and seeing you and Spencer at the game and yeah. asking if there's a way that I could hop onto the pre and post game show. Did Samson cut you the next day uh, after you undid his I still, I still am not clear if Samson cut me because he refused to call me oh, like a chump what and a, wouldn't pick up any of my phone calls. It's a disturbing the, trend. Yeah. It was, it was Pastorino like, if you will. Wow. Um, and, but this was the thing that really stung about that one was because he and I were so close because I, well, not so close. Because of Clive Charles, mm. we had a different relationship. Um, and I just thought, I don't know, I thought it was super soft that you can make changes to your roster and not have just the common decency, mm. the manhood to like yeah. pick up the phone and say, hey, tough decision. This is what we have to do as an organization. And I would have been totally fine with it. But now I've had a better taste in my mouth with regards to him as a human being. Sure. And will continue to do so because of how he decided to, to act. Sorry, that gets so, no, there's a lot of places to go. Um, let's fast forward to present day. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm curious how, because obviously since that time, you've been so closely identified with Salt Lake, mm -hmm. right? Not only scoring the goal at, at Rice-Eccles on April 14th, I think, 2005, Planning the flag, which uh, so iconic, and and I I loved what was happening in the in Rio Tinto Stadium, mm. watching it from afar, in pre-COVID times with you kind of planning the flag and having that be kind of the the post-game ceremony. Match, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get into some of that a little bit, but I guess how difficult was it for you to be? calling games to be the the guy on local media and and certainly the go-to guy on Twitter throughout a very tumultuous 2020 with mm. covid the bubble um all the social justice stuff that has been um somewhat i guess controversial and divisive yeah. in in various fan bases not just here but around the league Obviously, you've got a daily platform on Sirius, so you're dealing with all those things and how they're England, Germany, Italy, like you said before, all over the world. And then, you know, the last, what, 10 games or so, you had 
you know, the, the situation with the uncertainty of the ownership situation here mm-hmm. in Salt Lake and what's going to happen uh, going forward. You know, first there was an investigation on both the NWSL and the MLS side, and then um, everybody wondering, you know, when is Deloitte going to sell and who's he going to sell to and all that. So what kind of added strain did all that put on, on you? Whew, that's a, that, that is, there's so many layers to that question. And it's a great question. Um, I am a better human being because of 2020. And, and, and then I don't, and I don't, I don't mean to like make it about me. I, I, I have recognized because of the platforms that I am on mm-hmm. and how uncomfortable and it has been incredibly uncomfortable at times to be the voice of of an organization without being named the voice of the organization. I, I'm I'm the TV guy. I'm just the TV guy. That's it. I'm the guy who talks during games. And yet, I was I was in a situation where pregame show the moment that that show started, we had a lot of shit happening behind the scenes, and. I had to. Sorry, Ryan. I don't know if you're gonna have to bleep that, but there was a lot. There was. I mean, that we're that, we're we're R-rated. We, okay. That, okay. That, that was. There's been a, the, you know every year there's stuff that happens right. There's stuff that becomes public, stuff that's not public, and I walk the fine line of, okay, here's the stories that are happening with Real Salt Lake, and this is what you need to pay attention to. But this was the first time where. It it was it was ugly, it was real. Um, there were some dark truths that were coming to light and things that needed to be acknowledged publicly that couldn't be acknowledged publicly from the organization's standpoint. And I felt, I felt it incredibly important, not just, I mean, <laughs> I, Trey, honestly, I went into every show knowing that it could be the last time I ever called a game. Wow. Depending on what came out of my mouth. And I specifically remember looking at DJ after the first or segment first or second segment of a pregame show and saying to Kenny Neal in the truck and to DJ, Well, um, if I make it to the game, I'll be lucky. Because I honestly thought there were times that what I was saying on camera was my personal view, my truth, based on the morality that I have as a human being. And that whatever I decided to say, and a lot of it was off the cuff. I tried not to memorize anything. I tried not to write down bullet points. I just tried to be honest uh, with kind of my truth, with what I was seeing and what was coming out. And a couple times I didn't even think I'd make it to the game. I did not think I'd make it to kickoff, that I'd get yanked off the air. And Because that's how that's how sensitive the situation was across across the board. Um, and that was after everything transpired in um, with the NBA and in Major League Soccer, mm-hmm. with the players deciding to to pass on the game, uh, LAFC and, and Real Salt Lake. And I got to put a feather in the cap of Nate Monuoha. Um, he is an incredible human being. I'm v- I was very very fortunate. Uh, I mean, Ryan knows Nate way better than I do, but very very fortunate enough to have the opportunity to get to know certain players away from the game. Yeah. And I don't I don't I don't pretend to know Nedum that personally, but my interactions with Nedum as a broadcaster, 
as a player, but then as just two guys kind of having conversations. Um, had I not been able to cultivate that relationship with him personally, Nate Monoha would have never probably been on camera to explain what was happening between mm-hmm. Real Salt Lake and LAFC that night. That then led to Deloitte going on air the following morning and everything that has transpired since. Because the social justice part, you know, is is a sensitive platform for everybody. There's you're either with us or against us. And mm-hmm. that was kind of for both sides, for everybody involved in that conversation. And I didn't feel as a Caucasian, 43 years old, growing up in Southern California with- 43. An, almost 44. Uh, <laughs> an, an array of a background of friends, um, you know, every nationality, yeah. religion, creed that I grew up with. I still didn't feel that it was my place to- pontificate about what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so I texted Natum uh, while he was on the field and walking in the locker room. And I said, I know this is a big ask. Is there any way you jump on camera and explain what is happening? Because there wasn't a better player in Major League Soccer, in my opinion, right. that could kind of weave the web that is a very difficult conversation. And I thought he did a, a, an amazing job. Um, and so... You know, from that that from that point forward, from everything that kind of went on this year, from off the field, and there was a lot of off the field, to the disappointment on the field with kind of the way the season collapsed at the end, and the general unknown of what was going to happen in this off season, and still to this day, uh, the general unknown of what the future looks like for El Salt Lake. Yeah, I think it's it's been by far as a broadcaster, knowing that I'm the one that people are going to listen to mm-hmm. during the broadcast that. I um I knew I was going to ruffle some feathers and without a shadow of a doubt I I ruffled a lot of feathers that uh it has I mean as far as I know I'm still calling games and I've been told I'm calling games but um I have I have separated myself from some of the relationships that I previously had because of everything that's transpired behind the scenes mm. if that makes sense cuz you where and you and I met back in '97 when you were the second player for Project 40, and I was at the league. And then, you know, you really did so much for me coming here in you know late 2004, early 2005, <laughs> coming back from Sweden. But you know, you always helped create that connective tissue between the club and the community when you would talk about your LDS grandparents Hmm. and, but also nationally talk, spending the time that you took because of your platform and relationships, whether when you were here, LA coming back to here, Fox, ESPN, NBC, whatever, breaking down, I think the stereotypes that a lot of, people at the league office, people at the mm-hmm. networks, people in the other clubs around the league. Now that the league has more than doubled in size in, in RSL's 16, 17 years. And uh, I think that's been invaluable. Um, so what is that? 
where does that come from, I guess? Why does that meant so much to you? Hmm. So going back to 97, when I joined the league, at the time, there was, as you said, being the second Project 40, there was a lot, there was a lot of press around that. And after the very first season of playing alongside Alexi Lawless and Mike Burns and Joe Max Moore and, um, you know, Thomas Rongan was the head coach and our season wasn't going well. And I went over to Glasgow Rangers and I was training with Richard Goff and Rangers and, um, you know, Ali McCoist and Paul Gasson, Gaza, mm. um, Barry Ferguson, like the next generation of that, that incredible run from Rangers before everything kind of went sideways. And now they're killing it at the top of the table with Steven Gerrard. Um, I, there was a lot of, there was a lot of expectation for promoting the league and promoting Project 40 and being a part of the U.S. men's national team and subsequently being the captain of the under-23s, I was asked to do a lot of stuff. Mm. And I loved it. I, I had a good time talking about the team and what we were trying to do and talking about the league and what we were accomplishing and you know my opportunities. Next year, going over after the 98 World Cup to Bayer Leverkusen when mm. Frankie was there and you know spending three months and training in a foreign culture in a different language and you know, before the internet really hit, all that stuff was, I loved it. So when I got here, you know, I, I, in Miami, there wasn't really a platform to do a lot. In Columbus, it was huge. Mm -hmm. It was a huge platform. And at the time, we were, you know, the crew was a really good team. So there was a bunch of stuff. We were doing milk commercials. We were doing local bank commercials. Mm -hmm. We were with the fans doing, you know, the you could walk outside Crew Stadium and it would be an hour worth of signing signatures. Mm -hmm. Um, which I still think to this day is one of the worst decisions that MLS teams can make is not providing an access area for fans to wait for players after the game mm. to go and sign autographs because you make that that connection, you make yeah. that forever connection, and that's what we did at Rice Eccles. You know, you walk up the you walk up the stairway and you yeah. sign all those autographs, and you'd still have to leave through the fans, and it would be an hour. But I was single; I didn't have kids. Yeah. So I, I specifically remember on the phone with you, you called me and you said, Donnie, what are you doing this afternoon? I was like, nothing, probably taking a nap. And you're like, hey, would you do this appearance? And I just remember that moment talking to you and saying, dude, Trey, whatever you need, let me know. I don't have kids. I don't have responsibility. Like if you need an appearance at a, at a school, elementary school, if you need someone to go to the radio station, if you, so next thing I know, I was doing the morning show with Frankie and DB yep. every Friday. I was doing Ian Fitzsimmons twice a week with yeah. 1320 because I knew Ian from Columbus. We were, we were doing some judging contest. And he was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, I was doing Tony Caputo's cooking yeah. show every Thursday yeah. with Fox. I was um, doing the KSL late night where they would give you an OGO bag every time you came in. Yeah. I still travel with that OGO bag. Um, I, and then making relationships. And I'm going to do some stuff with the Academy here in the next couple of weeks about, you know, the PR stuff yeah. that I've done with you and with RSL before. It's just, I, I, I don't understand. Do you understand. remember what you said to me? What's that? You said, I will be your bitch. Well, I don't think I said that, but maybe I did. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, no, but you were very clear. You're like, look, if it's six in the morning or 10 at night. Whatever you need. Whatever you need. Yeah. And, and. You know, I've done a lot of media training with you, and I think you alluded to it earlier, is all those, you always treated people with respect, no matter if they were the station GM or the Sunday night intern mm -hmm. or whatever. And as you said, those people that were interns then are decision makers now. And, decision and makers, yeah. I know that is such a critical message that you pass on whenever a group of players 
the league's had you do media training. I'm I'm ecstatic that you're doing stuff with the academy kids too. Just to get people to kind of understand that you just never know how to create that well connection, listen, right? Listen, it's it's easy, right? Yeah. Don't be a dick. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, let's just simplify the equation. Just be are a you, good person. Are you quoting Taylor Twelman when you <laughs> no. say, what are we doing? No, well, <laughs> credit to Taylor, man. He's killed it. Um, but, like, seriously, how hard is it just to be a good person? How hard is it to be nice? And, by the way, if you – I keep I – I've been talking to my boys about this all the time. Kill people with kindness. Like, you don't know what people are going through. People could be having a rough day. Something could be happening behind the scenes. Like, even when you're watching a, a team play, like, we've had guys that have stepped between the white lines, and unbeknownst to anybody, their partner has been dealing with cancer. Like, or, you know, guys are getting divorced, or girlfriends have cheated, partners have cheated, or people have lost their mother or father, or somebody's sister is going through yeah. something. Like, you don't know what these guys are going through. I think that may be one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned from you, is... As a sports fan, to think about that. It's hard because we don't we don't want to think about that because sports are our outlet. Sports yeah. are our ability to disconnect from the real world. And I think we saw that when the world kind of shut down because of the pandemic that what do we do on the weekends? Like, yeah. do we invest more time in our families or do we wait to have that outlet again with sports coming back? And it was difficult. But to to I this goes back to Alexi Lawless. And this is kind of the first story I tell when I do media training. 1997, Alexi Lawless is the rock star. Yeah. It's the Adidas commercials. It's the sunglasses. It's Powerade. It's everything. I'm I'm rooming with Alexi Lawless. Long hair, goatee Alexi Lawless. <laughs> um, I'm rooming. The same guy I just watched three years earlier at the Rose Bowl. Mm. Well, I didn't get into it because I, I didn't have tickets. But the same guy who was, you know, playing in the World Cup, who went to Italy for Padova and scored against Inter Milan, scored against AC Milan. Now he's my roommate. We're we're literally in a hotel room. I'm mm. I'm his roommate. And he's sitting there strumming his guitar, his hair's down, his fingernails are painted, whatever. And all of a sudden his commercial comes on. And I just remember sitting there looking at the commercial, looking at him, being like this surreal moment as like a twenty year old, as a you know, just out of Fullerton, just got back from the end of twenty World Cup and like, oh wow, like that's Lexi and this is a commercial. <laughs> and I just look at him, I was like, How weird is that? And he's like, Never gets any easier. <laughs> And Alexi's a genius at what he does. Whether you love him or hate him, he's the smartest guy in the room every time. So it was right after, it was my, it must have been end of July. The U.S. team is about to play a couple more world qualifiers. They're going to play in Foxborough. If they win, they've qualified for the 1998 World Cup. And Alexi's, I was like, where are you going? He's like, I got to go do this interview for whatever, ESPN or something. I was like, oh, you mind if I just roll down and watch? He's like, yeah, I don't care. So he's got his hair pulled back, he's got his hat on, he's got his glasses, you know, typical incognito Alexi. <laughs> and he gets down there, hey, I'm Alexi, hey, I'm Alexi, hey, I'm Alexi, hey, I'm Alexi. He's shaking everyone's hand. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm just watching, observing, 20 years old. And then it's like, hey, he talks to the guy. He's like, so what are we talking about? He's like, oh, we're going to talk about, you know, the World Cup qualifying, what this means, blah, blah, and He's like, all right, cool. Sits down, they mic him up. And super generous with his time and his his focus, and he's just locked in. He's He's... He's turned. He's mm -hmm. went from like, this is what I got to do to like, okay, I'm on. He looks down. I see him kind of like pull his hair out. He looks up and he's like, all of a sudden his body transforms. I'm sitting up. Uh, that's why the mic went weird right there. His, he sits up straight. He's like locked in and he's like engaged on. Like you can see something switched on. I was like, holy crap, that's incredible. 
So it's like, Alexi, you know, coming up, you guys are playing whatever, El Salvador here at Foxborough Stadium. You know, what's it going to be like playing for the U.S. team in front of your Revolution fans? And Alexi just boisterous, like, listen, let me tell you something. I am the epitome of what World Cups can do for a player. I got to go to Italy. I speak Italian. Now I'm here in one of the greatest sporting backyards in the history of sports in Boston at Foxborough. And the United States men's national team is going to play El Salvador. And we're going to win. We're going to qualify for the World Cup. And we're going to do it in front of my New England revolution. And he's just yeah. boisterous and, and gregarious. And he's got he's just engaged. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> and I remember standing, and I can't remember his name, and I feel bad right now. Um I think it was Gene, but it's not, it's probably not Gene. He was a local Fox affiliate. And I was like, dude, I want to do that. Like, how does he do that? And he's like, I'll work with you. Because I had been, I made, I made nice with this guy. Mm. And I was there for two weeks. And this guy literally shows up after practice, goes out of his way. He was covering the team anyways, but he sets up a camera, has a, has a monitor next to him, sits down and he works with me in a chair, no moving side to side, no swiveling. Get your feet flat on the ground or lock your legs so you're not nervous. If you start getting nervous before you're going on camera, take 10 breaths underneath your breath. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. and settle your heartbeat. Calm yourself down. Look at the cameras. Drop ands, ums, you knows, mm. and get right to it. And laser focus. What story do you want to tell? Control the message. Yep. You're smarter than everyone in the room because you're the player. How do you want – if a guy asks a dumb question, hey, what do you think about the upcoming game? Well, listen, FC Dallas is a fantastic team, currently sitting in first place in the Western Conference. Luchi Gonzalez has done a great job. We know defensively there's some spots that we can get at them, but listen, there's tickets, tickets still available here for Rio Tinto Stadium. Game's going to kick off at 7.30. Get there early. Create the atmosphere. We love playing in front of our fans. Boom. Right there. You control the message. Instead yep. of like, oh, you know what, listen – uh, you know, FC Dallas is a pretty good team, and you know we'll we'll do what we have to do. What is that? What is what? What does that do? Yeah. So, just controlling the message and knowing that if you leave a good taste in their mouth, by the way, it's hard for people to talk trash about you. Yeah. If you are nice to be, hey, what's going on, man? Fist bump. Hello. How's the golf game? How's the family? Kids are getting big. I can't believe what I saw. Just engaging as a human being. Guess what? If you, you mess up, the yeah. they're not going to call you out. But if you're a dick, nobody's going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And they're going to hammer you. And you're going to be more insecure and more sensitive and more angry the next time you see it. And what does that do? So, um, yeah, that's kind of long-winded how I kind of no, see it. No, it's good. How do you feel or what do you wish to communicate about the current state of RSL culturally mm. and what you kind of hope to see in 2021 with Rob and Elliot and Tony and Freddie and now Pablo Mastroeni on yeah. that staff and and the growth you hope to see with a core around, you know, Albert, Demir, Pablo Ruiz, Everton Luis, Justin Glad. David Ochoa, Aaron Herrera, obviously, and and then and then who you know Rubio, Rubin, and I, I know Elliot's got a few other tricks up his sleeve that once we know the status of the CBA and the yeah. start date of the season and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what is your 
take on the I guess the current pulse of things? I think there's obviously still a lot of unknown because my hope is RSL fans look what has happened with the Columbus crew over the last 24 months and seeing what you know the mm. the <laughs> the ownership group looks like to see what the Haslam's in conjunction and, and a non-local owner in conjunction with Dr. Pete Edwards, a local owner, the guy who's been the team doctor from day one, to see what they have done. And it's not that you need to bring in Caleb Porter or Tim Bezbachenko. It's more about what's on the field. Uh, Lucas Zellerayon and Darlington Nagby having the having the funds both on the field and off the field to go out. I don't think that this team is that far away. Now, I know that sounds crazy in with regards to what I just said, but when you look at the player personnel, with the right players, three to four players put you in a really good spot. Mm -hmm. Now, RSL historically has never been the type that's going to be the LAFCs or the Atlanta Uniteds or even the Inter Miamis or the Toronto FCs or the Seattle Sounders, and I get that. Um, because the infrastructure right here is turnkey. This is one of the best infrastructures in Major League Soccer in terms of the umbrella from the academy to the first team and everything that this club has. Uh, but again, to compete now, it's a nuclear arms race, and it's a nuclear arms race in terms of spending. And some some owners want the training wheels on financially, and others want the training wheels just ripped off. Mm. So my 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 expectations are lower for this season because this team is operating with one hand behind its back mm -hmm. going into the January transfer window. Um, but I what I will say is, and I said this on air a long time ago, there are a lot of really, really good people in this organization that have the best of interests across the board from the employees behind the scenes to the players on the field to the Monarchs players to the Academy players. Um, and the structure that's set, uh, set up currently with the people in charge is not nearly as bad as people assume because of what's transpired over the last you know six or seven months. So, again, with all the unknown, and my hope is that RSL fans can watch this club replicate in terms of the ownership and the infrastructure financially to support this group on and off the field. Um, but, again, I don't think it's nearly as bad as people assume um, because there's, um, you know, unfortunately this club is, because of what's transpired, has opened itself up mm. for and rightly so, a ton of criticism. So when you peel all the ugly, uh, all the ugliness back to its worst layer, I think those that are here have the opportunity to build the right way. And it's a clean slate in a lot of ways for me. Yeah. <clears throat> How unique is the opportunity for whoever the new owner is? Because we've had it since day one in terms of being a big fish in a small pond. So yep. that gives this club relevance locally that a lot of MLS clubs, even those that were around 10 years before dying RSL, dying, dying for it. Yep. And then you look at the infrastructure and the growth that has occurred under Deloitte with the Monarchs, the Academy, the development opportunities that you just referenced. The Utah Royals as well. Yeah. Um, extraordinary i always talk about um i don't know if you've met tom spall out at the academy mm -hmm. he was a former fa yep. you know evaluator he told me 
other than Man City, that complex in Harriman rivals or exceeds every other Premier League club's yeah. training setup, yeah. academy setup, which is astounding to me. So to me, there's this jewel that we have in the desert, and you know, people get upset about Soto and Ledesma getting away. But that, that was the league structure at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I to, Okay, so first off, infrastructure-wise, what Deloitte built— it's it's you 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 can't take that away, and I know it's complicated, and I know it's 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 a it's a giant web that if you try to unweave, it's going to be really complicated to figure out. But at the same time, in terms of how this club is looked at, people want to build this type of infrastructure mm-hmm. to have Harriman and the facility and the academy and the STEM school and everything that's built down there. To have America First Field and to have the the locker room that was built for the Royals, to keep to arguably keeping the NWSL alive when the Royals came, um, and 100%. even even through the disappointment of losing them, and I am I am incredibly disappointed for not only for for Lowe and Amy Rodriguez and what you know the the ladies had done in the community, but for the infrastructure that was provided sure. for them because for a lot of these women it was the first time they were treated like professionals. Um, and that's devastating uh, for me personally. I wish them all the best, and I hope everything in Kansas City goes the way it needs to go. And I hope in 2023 the Utah Royals are back here at Rio Tinto Stadium, whether that be with the new owner or whether that be with local ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is turnkey. I remember when you know my wife Jade and I went down there to the academy with you to Harriman for the yeah. very first time, and you walked us through the doors. I got I got tears in my eyes. I was so envious and jealous of what this was because I'd never, I'd never thought that not only would MLS get to that point, but Real Salt Lake would get to that point after having to train on uh, the artificial surface up at Rice Cycles every single day in 2005. So um, this is, if not one of the best, well, I'd, I'd put it in terms of the infrastructure, top five in Major League Soccer yeah. in terms of infrastructure set up ready to go right away and a clear path of of trying to develop players for the first team when you scored that goal in 2005 when you were training 120 times on turf breaking <laughs> Falling apart yeah uh, destroying your body shoulder back yeah um did you did you in your wildest dreams did you think this club could no. advance to where it is now no chance no 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 way no not 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 even close. When did it kind of click for you that all the things that whether it was Dave Checkett's vision because mm-hmm. I I tell this these stories a lot about how prescient he is and how hmm. you know things that he almost just willed into existence with a an audacious vision. You mean getting shovels in the ground with Real yeah, Madrid players like when everything was falling apart? For what this club could be <laughs> yeah. in this community, yeah. for what this community could be for the sport in this country, mm-hmm. for the league, for CONCACAF, all that stuff. Like, And obviously Jason and Garth and Bill yeah. and countless others uh, put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears yourself to make all these things happen. Yeah, But I guess when did that sense of permanence or yeah. ambition kind of crystallized for you in terms of so three phases okay rice eccles 
was phase one. Oh man, Salt Lake City, MLS, right. crazy. And then all of a sudden the World Cup qualifiers and you're seeing Everton, you're seeing Boca Juniors, you're seeing Real Madrid. And I was joking around with you. God, I forgot about the Everton game. Yeah, uh, Real Madrid was like taking the Yankees to Timbuktu. I mean, <laughs> Salt Lake City? Yeah. You're going to bring Real Madrid? I mean, Real Madrid, like all the big boys to Salt Lake City? No chance. And that was that was done. Um, it, it, that, those, those were like the first moments of like, wow, man, we got soccer. But it's still in a football stadium. Mm-hmm. It's still in the college, you know? Turf. And it was like, it was old MLS. Yeah. And to then say, hold on a second, you know, because I'd played in Giant Stadium, I'd played in the Cotton Bowl, you know, playing in Foxborough. Yeah, it's football. Great. But it's not soccer specific. And having played it um, at, at Columbus Crew Stadium, mm-hmm. having hadn't been, I was on New England Revolution against Columbus for the very first game. Mm. So that was... You know, having seen what that meant and knowing like that was what they wanted to do, it was like, all right, cool. To get into Rio Tinto Stadium, I I think the first day, it was two phases. It was one to sign the last piece of steel that went up in the stadium. Mm. Um, And for those that don't know, that is hanging in the northeast corner of the stadium is the final piece that went up. Um, Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, rem- I just remember how muddy it was oh, that day. And there's a reindeer. To, we had to raise that. Yeah. <laughs> the reindeer. Yeah. And yeah, it was, was stepping on all the wood planks oh. to get to the mud. Um, but then the first game, that first game at the stadium was like, holy crap, there's a soccer specific stadium. Like, this is real. And then the, the, so that was phase two. And then phase three, honestly, was that day I walked into Harriman. When I walked into Harriman, we walked through the side doors and that first big, field is right there and i just the size of it i just couldn't believe it and then walking through having hit that before or after having walked through the academy like dorms and like living area it was just i i you know i was i was sitting here saying to my wife at the time i was like this isn't meant for me this is meant for my boys generation and sure enough that's what it's kind of turning into so those are the three phases for me that are like the plant the flag moment of yeah. development for this club. So what's the next step? Owner. Yeah. Owner. That's it. Having an owner that is inv- again I I'm it's just crystallized because of Columbus's success and raising an MLS Cup trophy at home and seeing a new soccer specific phase 2 of a soccer specific. We got a lot of phases in MLS. Yeah. But to see the first soccer specific stadium in Major League Soccer turn into soccer-specific stadium 2.0. And to see what transpired after Anthony Precourt and everything with Austin, Mm. to see, you know, the Haslam's come in and to see Pete Edwards come in, to see them get on a private jet and go get Zellerayon, you know, spend $10 just to get him through the door from Tigres, and then to see the team succeed. I just, I don't think the team is that far away. Just like I don't think Columbus was that far away. And then they add a couple special players yeah. and that puts them over the top. So do you think, because there are a lot of people around the league that think, based on what we've seen in Austin, the other cities you mentioned earlier, does whoever the next owner is, do they really need to come in and lose 10 to 20 million a year? <sighs> for to you know to engage in the arms race well, that is happening in major league soccer with a tv contract up in the air yeah digital Pandemic. rights um 
another probably year lost to COVID in terms of butts and seats. Mm-hmm. It's just such a strange it time. Is. It's hard. And it's the worst time, obviously, for RSL as a club to be sold. But it's such a unique opportunity. It, it, because of 2026, right. right down the road. Yep. It is a unique com- opportunity. Here, here's the thing. It's let, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit. I said new ownership is the most important thing. New ownership, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to pull that back. New ownership in conjunction with reestablishing what this club needs to mean. It, it stood, again, not trying to displace everything from Dave to Deloitte to now, but there was a time where Real Salt Lake was identifiable. And I'm not saying go back to the Diamond or go back to Jason or go back to Garth or go back to Bill Manning or go back to that time. No, what I'm saying is that when Real Salt Lake took the field, there was an ideology, there was an identification that you knew stylistically what they were going to look like. You knew grit, fight, determination, what they were going to look like, competition. And then you also knew the importance of these players in the community and what they meant to the fan base. And I think at times, as the evolution of the club and of the league have, have, have gone on, I think it's lost, it's lost a little bit of that. You know, we, we talk about, we used, we used to use, the, and this is because of you, RSL family. I, I, that, that's been missing for me for a while. The mm-hmm. idea of RSL family is inclusiveness, um, brotherhood, sisterhood, what, however you want to define that, and making sure that everybody was protected. And protected means putting an arm around them, uh, making sure everyone feels comfortable, that everyone knows kind of the direction of the club, and having having top to bottom, and I mean this from the academy, Tom Spall, everyone there, through the Monarchs to the first team, and even behind the scenes in the working environment yeah. in the club, that there's an RSL way. And to reestablish what the RSL way, the Real Salt Lake way is, I think for me, vitally important. Because there needs to be, there needs to be a new watermarker set for this club to move forward and say these are our expectations, both on and off the field. This is who we are. This is who we aspire to be. And if you want to be a part of this, this is going to be the accountability for being a part of this organization, top to bottom. Yeah. And if you don't pass the mustard, you're out. That's it. You're out. Now, we'll support you and make sure you have everything you can possibly need to be successful um, in whatever realm you find yourself in. But the, we, we kind of got away from that. And it happens. It's happened to a lot. Ha- we see it in a lot of sports, a lot of, a lot of organizations, a lot of, a lot of jobs. But this is why, this is why I've stayed involved with so long. And why you've come back is because we believe in what this club could be. 100%. And I think it's it's important for the fan base to know that they're in good hands, that they're, they're in good hands with people that really, really do care, that, you know, that organically their first order of concern is not for themselves. It is for the best right. interests of this club. And for the badge and hopefully the yeah, shield yeah, yeah even though badge needs updated and i already have an idea but we'll talk about that another time <laughs> yeah we'll get into that next time it's a great note to end on dunny because um i think by the time this airs john kimball tony beltran at all will have unveiled the rsl way 
Uh, it's a big initiative that I know has been happening behind the scenes. We talked didn't even little, know that, by the way. Really, we talked a little bit about it with Tony, um, and I know it's it's something he's been kind of spearheading um, alongside John it's one of just the best to try to I know, Tony just to yeah. recapture that direction hmm? that that did get lost. And I know over the course of of this pod and and perhaps in your next visit, we can talk a little bit about you know where things went astray and. I do really want to get into the to the magic of 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 you tweeting uh, while uh, <laughs> watching live action, whether it's uh, live in stadium. It's, Stop it's, texting me it's back. It's astounding. It's astounding. But somehow my tweets to you go unrecognized, <laughs> no. unanswered, unacknowledged. Just kidding. False. Thank you so much for your time, Donnie. Thank you for everything um, you've done for the club and you've done for me personally to kind of welcome me back no 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 and, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity yeah I appreciate the opportunity thank you to Ryan, you and Ryan for everything that you guys do and to the fan base uh, you mean the world to us and and I hope that's uh, that that that's reciprocated or at least felt that that we care about the fan base as much as the fan base cares about this club 100% and I can't wait for uh, some of this uncertainty to disappear and dissipate and for 2021 to, to get kicked off both yeah. uh, literally and figuratively thanks Don All right, everybody, that's our show, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, Episode 4. Thank you so much to Brian Dunseth for his time and effort and his uh, his willingness to share, as always. If you'd like to share, please do. Give us your favorite or some of those standout recollections, memories you may have. Again, there's two ways to get those to us. You can go to anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt. Press the message button. We'll get it that way. Or you can just record a voice memo on your phone or computer and email it to rsltray at gmail.com. As always, you can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at Claret Cobalt. Always up, Ryan and I, for some banter, omissions, corrections, guest ideas, and especially your favorite RSL memories. This will help us kind of plot the future course of the show and become a segment that we dip back into as we celebrate the past, present, and future of Real Salt Lake. This show, as always, produced independently by Trey Fitzgerald and Mountain Air Media, recorded at Mountain Air Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Thank you all, as always, for listening Share, subscribe, rate, download, etc. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt on all your favorite podcast platforms. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. <laughs>